Yes, hello. It's Jason. Welcome back to the Ultra Culture Podcast, episode 124. My guest today returning to the show is Angel Millar, the author and all-around awesome dude who is a consulting hypnotist and personal growth mentor. He is a really fascinating guy, really into magic, martial arts, meditation, self-hypnosis, all kinds of awesome, awesome stuff. We talked to him on the podcast before. You can always go check that one out. You can check out his latest book, The Path of the Warrior Mystic, Being a Man in an Age of Chaos, which I greatly enjoyed. All right, today we are continuing our new experimental format from before where guests and I have been talking about books and movies in pop culture. So we talked to Mitch Horowitz about The Dark Knight and Batman. We talked to Mickey Pellerano about Dion Fortune's book, The Mystical Kabbalah. And today we are talking to Angel Millar about Eyes Wide Shut, Stanley Kubrick's final movie from 1999. I'm guessing you've probably seen this, but just in case you haven't, maybe you're younger or you haven't seen it in a while, here's the, the, the rundown on the movie from Wikipedia. Eyes Wide Shut is a 1999 erotic mystery psychological drama film directed, produced, and co-written by Stanley Kubrick. It is based on the 1926 novella Trom Novelle, aka Dream Story, by Arthur Schnitzler, transferring the story setting from early 20th century Vienna to 1990s New York City. The plot centers on Bill Harford, played by Tom Cruise, a medical doctor who is shocked when his wife Alice, played by Nicole Kidman, reveals that she had contemplated having an affair a year earlier. He then embarks on a night-long adventure during which he infiltrates a masked orgy of an unnamed secret society. This movie is really important for a lot of reasons, not least of which is that it is a tr- truly awesome and great hallmark in the history of cinema, but it also obviously has a lot of occult dimensions. It has a lot of aspects of it that relate to psychotherapy, shadow work, sexuality, not to mention masked orgies by secret societies, making it one of the all-time perennial favorites of people who are into the kind of stuff that listen to this show. As you might imagine, there is a tremendous tremendous amount to unpack in this movie and I really enjoyed watching it for the first time in 23 years after originally seeing it in the theater. It was not the movie that I remember and you're really going to enjoy my conversation with Angel. P.S. Our new mega course is out at magic.me and is tremendously successful already. It is called Mastering Meditation and it is the greatest course on the planet I say without any exaggeration, I know I made it, but I, it's true. It is the greatest course on the planet for learning and mastering the core fundamentals of true meditation, mindfulness, and yoga. Have you ever looked at stuff on meditation that is widely available, like apps or, you know, nice YouTubes with calming music or, I don't know, just kind of really silly meditation techniques that people talk about or anything like that, and just thought, this is so lame. It's so boring. That's because it is. Meditation, when properly practiced, is nothing short of the path for humans to evolve to the next level. It is the best technique on the planet for overcoming ourselves, for becoming more than the animal that we are born as. 
And just like most things in life, paradoxically, what appears to be the most basic, the most prosaic, the most simple technique in world spirituality is actually the most intense, profound, and transformative when correctly practiced. Problem is, even though meditation as a true, t- as a true tradition has existed for thousands of years, and there's no shortage on the real st- of information on the real stuff, nobody in the West, quote unquote, ever really teaches the real stuff, either because they don't know it or because it's too hard. They don't want to commit to it. Well, no longer. Mastering meditation gives you everything to fully jump into and master the path of Raja Yoga, kingly yoga, the greatest of all yogas, yogas meaning spiritual techniques. And instead of just telling you about meditation, this course is going to turn you into a meditator. It is a two-month-long course which is designed to imprint the pattern of meditation into your life, starting with five minutes a day and ending by week eight at an hour a day. So it starts light and it can be integrated into even the most busy schedule. And you will come out of this course as a potent, serious, long-term, dedicated meditator. And that means that you will be using the same technique as all of the most successful people in world history. If you look at any of the people at the top of their game, and if you don't believe me, just go look at Wikipedia. If you look at people who are at the top of the financial world, the artistic world, the business world, the political world, look at all of them. And very likely, if you look close enough, they will have some type of meditation practice somewhere in there. I remember about 10 years ago, reading a novel called Bangkok 8 by John Burdett, excellent book, which is about a Buddhist cop in Thailand, which is an awesome premise. And I remember there's a conversation in that book where he asks a Buddhist monk, I believe, he's pointing up at all the skyscrapers in downtown Bangkok, and he's pointing up at the top and saying, all those people, you know, all the tops of business, all of the people in charge, how many of them do you think got there by using meditation techniques? And the Buddhist monk says, all of them. And it's true. Look at people like Ray Dalio. Look at people like Paul Tudor Jones. Look at all these financial people. You will see. So what that really, really means is that could be you. That can be you. That will be you. Meditation is no different than physical exercise. It is just exercise for your mind. And what can't you do with an Arnold Schwarzenegger mind? Literally anything. It will improve every single area of your life, no matter what it is, that you do. It will make you better. It will make you more present. It will make you more compassionate. It will make your relationships better. It will make make sex better. It will make your finances and career better. It will make you more creative, happy, fulfilled. I mean, what, what else do you want? It's all waiting there for you on a platter. Mastering meditation, magic.me, M-A-G-I-C-K dot M-E. Scroll down to our course list. You will see an animated logo of a woman meditating. That's the course. That's the one. Click it. Go. Get it done. You will Thank me. All right. Here's our guest, Angel Millar. You're really, really going to love this. Okay. Eyes, eyes wide shut. This, yeah. I had, okay. What did you think? What did you think? When, when, had, when was the last time you'd seen this movie before? before rewatching it because i think this was your suggestion right to do this one yeah i think i watched it a couple of years ago and then i've, I've seen it you know 
going back a couple of decades. Uh, I've watched it a few times. I had not seen it since I saw it in a theater, and I think I was oh, really? seventeen yeah. or eighteen when when I saw it in a theater. Oh, really? And it, it definitely, yeah, <laughs> it definitely hits different as an adult. I don't think I really understood anything in it as a teenager. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. But still, it's very visually Im- impactful. So. Absolutely. So I took like yeah. 6,000, 6,500 words of notes on this movie. But, but why don't I let oh, you, you? Okay. And and I think, but I think it's a, it's actually a very timely. This movie is timely again in a way. It was just yeah. rated the number one movie of the nineteen nineties by IndieWire like two days ago. Oh really? And oh wow. Yeah, Great. I saw that just looking it up. And <laughs> it's timely in a lot of other ways. One is Tom Cruise's career has been resuscitated by Top Gun 2, which yeah. I don't know if you saw that. Right. But pretty awesome. I haven't seen it. Oh, I highly recommend yeah. it. It's great. Oh, really? Okay. It's great. Um, okay. So he's he's now persona grata again. People have accepted him back he after is. his long uh, wow. jaunt through science, you know, <laughs> continuing jaunt through Scientology and being weird. So Tom Cruise is back on top again. He made a, at least a billion dollars on that movie. And also there's the wow. themes of masks, of secret societies, of yeah, all of the stuff right. that have been on people's minds in the pandemic, yeah. particularly Jeffrey Epstein, Klaus Schwab, all of that stuff. It, it, yeah. so this movie is very yeah. archetypal <laughs> in that way. But why don't you, why don't you just lead mm-hmm. us off? What was what was it about this movie that brought you to suggest it for to do a show about? Yeah, so good question. Well, I think um, you know it does have this this very strong element of a secret society, which uh, which many people associate with um, Freemasonry. I would say, but associate with Freemasonry or that kind of world of secret societies. You know, think of the Bavarian Illuminati of the 18th century, of, of this idea of uh, of some kind of elite getting together in some very glamorous uh, setting or a mansion somewhere behind, you know, protected by passwords and, and secrets and, and uh, you know, fake guises and this kind of thing. So I, I thought that was interesting. And uh, just this, you know, this, this kind of idea that there is something, maybe putting a more uh, positive spin on it, that, there, that it, the everyday world is something else going on underneath it, that there's something more mysterious, maybe something more perverse, but something more, maybe deeper and a lot more colorful going on as well. Excellent. This is in a way the archetypal occult movie. It's like whenever people think about secret societies or the Illuminati, yeah. they in, in inevitably think yeah. about the masked ball scene and the, the, yeah. the soundtrack accompanying it. And this was a very actually archetypal year for kind of Gnostic and occult cinema. 1999, I very, remember very vividly, it's almost like every single movie that came out had an occult or Gnostic aspect to it or was about reality not being what it seems or something else going on under mm-hmm. the hood. And maybe that had something to do with premillennial tension or maybe they were just paying screenwriters more at the time. Yeah. I don't know, but, you know, Matrix, Fight Club, Truman Show. Um, there was even right. bits of that in Magnolia or the 13th floor, Blair Witch Project, Sixth Sense. Mm-hmm. It was it was a banner mm-hmm. year for what is reality movies. And this is definitely one of them. But mm-hmm. I will say rewatching it, I 
on one hand, I picked up on there's actually quite a lot of occult symbolism in this movie, uh, real symbolism. Mm -hmm. And on the other hand, it was not occult at all to me anymore. And it is very right. much a movie about yeah. marriage. And ultimately, in, in yeah. rewatching it, I felt I, I, this is in a way such a romantic movie. It's a movie. It's like a love mm -hmm. story for adults. It's about two adults in a marriage, mm -hmm. accepting each other's dark sides and understanding that they're, they're stuck together. Yeah. <laughs> you know? So, yeah, that's right. Yeah. So what was your, what was your take on it? Rewatching it? Yeah. My take on it a bit like a lot, sort of a lot less occult than people imagine and that it really is more of a sort of love story than anything else. Or, or you could say it's about the intricacies of being in being faithful in a long-term relationship as as opposed to the um, the allure of sex and i think you know pushing that analogy a little further you you could say it's also about the veneer of uh, morality the veneer of uh, monotheism um and, and i would include um contemporary politics in that as well uh with this sort of pagan uh, this pagan are right beneath the surface that keeps wanting to sort of rise up through dreams or through secret societies or through fantasy. And so I think in a, in a way you can see it as the pagan versus the uh, the Christian or the monotheistic or the, the moralistic, for sure. Yeah, that is definitely what my viewing it was. I mean, for me, the central symbol of this movie is is masks. Right, and it, which is particularly right, yeah. particularly funny given the current state of things, um, but it's about yeah. the masks that people wear in society and how innocent is that yeah. essentially makes society possible. It it, it cannot right. It, it is an illusion, and yeah, that it's not an illusion to be stripped away, but one to be upheld. Uh, and yeah. I'll come back. We can come back to that later. But why don't why don't we? just to get it out of the way, I, I wanted to maybe start off by just uh, directly addressing kind of the occult stuff and occult symbolism in this movie sure, so sure. that we can get onto, in my mind, the, the actually much, much more interesting side of things, which is the, what you just said, the intricacies of, of long-term relationships and marriage and fidelity and all of the, the, mm -hmm. the, you know, I think it's interesting that this was Stanley Kubrick's last movie because that really yeah. is the final frontier in terms of like things for artists to grapple with. And, that, and that's something right, that haunts right. everyone, I think. Yeah. So you may have picked up on stuff I didn't pick up on, but the, the most obvious thing going into this movie is the repetition of the star of Ishtar. Right, right. When they go to the, uh, the party, uh, in, in Ziegler's house. Yeah, yeah, that's right. And there's this sort of, um, <clears throat> sort of like, like a, a large Christmas ornament of the, the Star of Ishtar. That's right. Yeah. And, uh, and, you know, I guess it's, you know, open to debate whether, um, Stanley Kubrick really knew that it was the Star of Ishtar. Um, you know, certainly it's replacing the Christmas tree and which would be pagan anyway, but, and, uh, Christmas ornamentation. And um, yeah, so even from that sense, you can see that there's some weird symbol that is replacing uh, the sort of more normal symbolism that we would associate with Christmas. And, you know, why is that? I mean, is it the Star of Ishtar? Is it some weird symbol that is associated with that secret society? Or is it, is it a kind of wheel of the year? 
But yeah, but it, I mean, if it is the star of Ishtar, then it would immediately sort of bring back this sort of um, Babylonian pagan world of the goddess and fertility, but of sexuality and death, perhaps. Uh, it's definitely intriguing that this very large symbol is on, on the wall of his mansion where this party is going on. And, and also just this uh, otherwise very sort of lack of, um, lack of uh, decoration for a Christmas event, apart from those sort of white lights that are everywhere. It's very sparse, in fact. Yeah, I... I think it's actually pretty straight straightforward. I, I um I think it repeats multiple I can't remember where, but I think it repeats multiple times other than that one spot. But there's also did you notice the there is a Hebrew Daleth in the doctor's office? Oh, in the painting? Yes. Did you pick up on that? Yeah, I mean, it certainly looks like a Hebrew letter. That's right. <clears throat> and yeah, and the, the painting is this figures in red robes, uh, sort of in the distance, which which seems to allude to the, um, you know, the figure in, in red, in red, in a red robe in the mansion where the uh, sort of presiding over the sort of occult looking orgy. So yeah, that's, that's intriguing as well. Definitely. Definitely. And, and of course, Dalit is the um, the letter associated with Venus, which also Ishtar is associated with Venus. So at that point, right. I have to say that it's got to be intentional on whoever's part. And so and I'm right. thinking about that. Um, and there's also some repeating other repeating Venus imagery. For instance, their daughter is named Helena, which could very well be a, a reference to Helen of Troy, who is, you know, connected to Aphrodite and in, in, in the Odyssey and, mm. and Euripides. Um, but I think that yeah. it, it's, it's just actually, that's a very surface level symbol. And that this movie basically is the descent mm -hmm. of Ishtar or the descent of Inanna, of right. the, the Mesopotamian myth of going to the underworld. And Tom Cruise yeah. goes to the underworld in this, in this movie, but it's, it's not a mythological underworld. <laughs> it's the underworld of repressed desires and, and, and of right. society. Yeah. And yeah. It, so it very much is the descent of Inanna. So I think that one might just be kind of a direct on the nose um, point that's being made there. And of course the movie is set during Christmas also, which is the darkest yeah. part of the year. And so that is also right. a story I, about the, the going into the underworld and, and returning. Yeah. Yeah. And of course uh, that would also have been during the time of, uh, or pri prior to, uh, prior to Christmas in the pagan uh, Roman era, that would have been the festival of Saturnalia, of course, when mm. there was sort of a lot of orgies and, uh, debauchery and drinking and on as well. So, you know, slaves would be masters for a day and masters would become the slave for a day and this kind of thing. So this sort of very weird, um, yeah, role reversal, lots of orgies and uh, drunkenness and was just sort of debauched celebrations for about three weeks. Uh, so, I yeah, didn't realize it yeah. was that long. That's quite a party. I think, yeah, I think, I think originally it wasn't that long, but I think by the end of the, the pagan Rome, it, it extended about three, <laughs> three weeks. That's great. <laughs> they managed to extend that. So yeah. I'm guessing probably we probably can trace a line from that to like Carnival in and the mid medieval yeah, festivals, for sure. and, and I think for sure. that, which, which are shown in the masks in the movie, uh, which I yeah, think is the fact right. that it's European and nobility is a point I want to return to because I think there's something important there. But mm -hmm. the um, there's something about that's really interesting. The Saturnalia and Carnival is 
obviously the time where mm. people are allowed to take the mask. They put a mask on in order to take the mask off. Yeah, that's right. And, yeah, and let exactly. go of the Definitely. expectations of society and with the understanding that they're going to return to upholding them, but that everyone mutually agrees that there is an intent, there's tension there, that everyone is not necessarily completely happy doing it, but that they have a pressure release right. and they're going to return to it. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, I think there's an interesting parallel with the uh, the, the series uh, Stranger Things. I, I don't know if you've seen that. I actually have. It's based yeah. on. Uh, yeah, it's it's sort of influenced by H.P. Lovecraft's writing. It's I mean, it's really a kids series, but it, it's pretty interesting. But uh, to cut it short, uh, they show that underneath, sort of beneath the ordinary world, there's this other world is being created by this sort of demonic monster replica of the world that we live in, but it's sort of derelict and gray and sort of there's fungus all over it. And it's inhabited by these monsters. And I noticed that none of the monsters have faces. And I think this is probably a reflection of um, our fears about the internet, that there's these faceless people that are slowly consuming our world and turning our world into this sort of derelict replica of the real thing. So you think of, you know, um, the sort of uh, there's uh, 3D uh, worlds that you can live in now. And then, of course, the faceless characters being, uh, you know, those who attack people on social media and whatnot. But, but yeah, so there's a sort of strange connection to that. But uh, yeah, this idea that you, you wear a mask and it allows you to express in this in in the case of eyes wide shut to express some kind of repressed part of you the sort of animal nature that you want to have sex with attractive women or attractive people with attractive bodies and then it's in a sense all your pretensions to be a noble person who doesn't judge by appearances is you know can be thrown out the window <laughs> Yeah. And and of course, this was written by um, Arthur uh, Schnitzler, who who was a, a neuroscientist, and and, a, and a, I believe that Freud actually um, said he was nervous about meeting Schnitzler because uh, he regarded him as his doppelganger because <laughs> they were both interested in wow. in the minds and this in idea of repressions and sexual repressions. So this would have been the 1920s novel that the book was based on, which is set in Vienna instead yeah, of New York. Yeah, that's right. And they, they, they kind of pay a brief sort of homage to that, I notice, in, in the movie it, when um, Doc, Dr. Bill, the main character, goes to uh, Ziegler's uh, mansion in Manhattan um, to, and he's called to resuscitate a, uh, uh, a prostitute or a sex worker who's overdosed on drugs. Uh, if you look behind her, there's actually a, a painting which is painted in the style of uh, Gustav Klimt, who was around, you know, in the, the Viennese circle at, at the same time as Freud. So they seem to be trying to pay homage to that and noticing that, which is kind of curious. Interesting. Yeah, why don't we, actually for those who have not seen the movie or not seen it recently, well, first of all, definitely spoiler alerts because I want to care... I want to cover the entire movie, but uh, let's just kind of go through the movie from the beginning. So this is kind of the opening of the movie. So the setup is we have Tom Cruise is a kind of socialite, upper middle class doctor. His wife is Nicole Kidman. They were very famously an actual couple at the time. And in the movie, they go to 
a party that is it's like a christmas party and i forget why he's there in the first place right it's a christmas party thrown by a kind of wealthy acquaintance yeah yeah it's uh he's the doctor of uh, ziegler the guy who's throwing the party and is in being invited although of course he's ultimately a little bit out of his depth in terms of the money he's making because these are all meant to be multi multi-millionaires it's probably not quite a lab, so. yeah and i think that right there was central to that right there is really key because watching this movie I think there's a lot there about class. I think there's as much there about yeah. class and society as there is about sex and marriage. And of course, they're interconnected. So they're there. It's a Christmas party. There are people much richer than them. And okay, so so this guy, he's yeah. this guy's doctor. Okay, great. And then he is, yeah. his patient is upstairs partying with a prostitute who then overdoses on heroin. And he's called upstairs yeah. to help. While this is happening, Nicole Kidman is uh, dancing with a, 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 a wealthy, older Eastern European gentleman who's doing his best to yeah. seduce her. So there's a couple yes. things that go on in this. This this kind of it's, kicks off the the movie. There's a couple things I notice that go on here. One is their their marriage is. So I think at some point they they state that they've been married for nine years and they have a seven year old daughter and their marriage is about to be is about to be tested here. And so in the beginning of the movie, it's interesting, you see the contrast between um, you're kind of shown each of their sexual fantasies outside of the marriage. And mm -hmm. for Tom Cruise, who's a who's a man, it's two younger women. And right. for Nicole Kidman, it's an older man, which I thought was pretty funny, actually. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And then he is, Tom Cruise is called upstairs. And I think that right there is kind of like, you know, uh, being called up to be with the upper class. There's a, just an obvious class mm -hmm. symbol there. Um, and perhaps the wheels yeah. begin to turn in his mind of, okay, maybe I can climb the social ranks here. Um, but of course he's he's not this is an illusion and i think this plays this is a really key part of the rest of the movie is the kind of class aspiration there and doctors specifically mm -hmm. really symbolize kind of like the class aspiration of the upper middle class in that you know middle right. class people yeah. are told become a doctor or a lawyer and the idea is that if you're a doctor yeah. you can you know climb up the social ladder um but of course you mentioned him being out of his depth. I think one thing that is infamous about doctors also is they very often go into extreme debt to try to appear more wealthy than they actually oh, are. Right? Yeah, interesting. For the rest of the movie, there's a bit of Tom Cruise, I think, is they're they're both in a sense struggling with the bounds, not just of their marriage, but of their class position as well. And yeah. That is first, you know, called called into play in this. So much of this movie is about public performance. So there's that. And then, but both of them are kind of tested there a little bit. But Tom Cruise has an opportunity with these two young models, which he doesn't actually go for. He mm -hmm. behaves himself with a lot of right. decorum when he's up, upstairs. Um, Nicole Kidman yeah. also uh, just about, but does not give mm -hmm. in to temptation. But then when they're back, the inciting yeah. incident of the movie occurs, which is Nicole Kidman, they're both getting stoned and nicole kidman mm -hmm. reveals 
this whole sexual fantasy that she's had about uh, a prior year where she had met a uh, yeah a, a young naval officer. Yeah, yeah, it's sort of intriguing, right? And it, in, in a way, I think there's an element of comedy. I don't know if it's intentional or not, because you know, it seems throughout the entire movie, um, uh, uh, Doctor Bill is. Uh, almost having sex and he has all these encounters where he's just about to have sex with a beautiful woman and something happens so he winds up with a prostitute one night he's given her he's just about to pay her and have sex with her and then the phone rings and it's his wife alice who you know wants him to go back obviously and in a way i think that's almost uh, like a dream right you have these you know, sexual dreams, but I think rarely in sexual dreams do you ever have the sex. You kind of just lead up to it and you're just about to have the sex and you wake up. So in in a sense, that is, it's very much like uh, like the, the title of the original novel, Dream Story. But it's all, in a way, I think there's also an element of, I don't know if it's intentional, but an element of comedy that you can never quite, quite seal the deal. Or maybe it's just meant to be too much at the end of the day to do it because there is this sort of um, element of morality uh, when he goes to the rainbow fashion store to get a an outfit to go to the orgy. You know, there's uh, the, the daughter of the owner who's a you know, probably around thirteen or something like that, maybe fourteen. You know, uh, having sex with these uh, two older Asian men, he's pretty horrified by this and horrified later on when the owner is clearly pimping her out. He doesn't like that so you know there is some morality and even when he's when he leaves the uh, prostitute although he doesn't have sex with her he still pays her as if he did so you know i think a lot a lot of things are going on i think um that's not often commented on is that um although his wife alice you know talks about this sexual fantasy she had the previous summer which i'm guessing must be not the one just gone but the one before that so 18 months ago and um and she clearly thinks that this is pretty outrageous and very risque that she had a sexual fantasy about some guy she saw but you know in a way i think that just goes to emphasize the difference between men and women because i, I just couldn't imagine that a man would say well do you remember 18 months ago <laughs> yeah 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 i had yeah, a sexual yeah. fantasy about <laughs> you know it would be much it would be do you remember like last week <laughs> be that long ago right and then 10 minutes would, ago know, and he is yeah and, and in the space of 24 hours he's constantly pursuing having sex with different women even if it never quite happens uh you know he, his sexual appetite seems to be a lot more voracious than hers although she she clearly thinks that she's at least as you know sexual as him or maybe more than that but i think the timeline suggests that that's not really true and and she you know she's uh, and she, you know, at the end of the movie, she has this dream about an orgy, uh, and he's just come back from one, of course, and she's completely disturbed by it and finds it just repulsive. Whereas he doesn't seem, seem to necessarily be, you know, uh, sexually aroused by it. He doesn't seem to be disturbed by it either. So, yeah, that, yeah, that, that's. I think that this is a very intensely moral movie in a way, and it's a movie yeah, about yeah. upholding the institution of marriage. And it is interesting that although it is theoretically a movie about infidelity and a couple struggling with infidelity, no infidelity actually ever occurs or ever occurred. Nobody, right. neither one of them That's actually right. has sex with any, anyone else. 
it's just a series yeah. of fantasies or close calls. And I was reading that originally this actually, yeah. Stanley Kubrick did want to film this as a comedy starring Woody Allen. So oh, right. th- yeah. th- there may be something <laughs> to that as <laughs> yeah. well. Mm. But this this scene is obviously the pivotal scene that kicks off the rest of the movie. And there's a key line there where, Nic- and it, perhaps it is the question one of the core questions of the movie where Nicole, Nicole Kim looks at Tom Cruise and says, what makes you an exception? Like, how are you different mm-hmm. from any other man? And of course the, the, the true answer right. is he, he's not right. But he thinks he is. And he's right. saying, yeah, you know, I would never do anything mm-hmm. and all of that. And he, she says, what makes you an, an exception? And maybe he has to spend the rest of that movie testing those boundaries in a way. But my right. question for this yeah. scene, and I think it's, it's the, it's one of the core questions of the whole movie, uh, critically watching it is, does Nicole Kidman, in a sense, create the plot? And it's obviously a movie mm-hmm. about initiation. Tom Cruise has to go on this underworld initiatory journey. But is right. perhaps yeah. she's setting, is she kind of setting, I mean, she obviously very intentionally reveals this fantasy. And my initial reaction is, oh, she's trying to goad him into infidelity in order to justify that she wants to sleep with this older Hungarian man. But that guy never shows mm-hmm. up again in the movie. And I, I don't think that that necessarily right. was what was going on. So the question is, is she inciting this to get him to recognize something or or to initiate him in, in some way? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I don't know if it's if, if she's intentionally pushing him to do something. I mean, maybe it's the kind of spiteful comment that someone might make in a relationship. But, um, you know, nevertheless, whether it's meant to be spiteful or whether it's meant to push someone, um, you know, a comment like that probably is going to push someone to do something at some point, whether that night or in the few outs about your relationship and about about yourself. So in that sense, yeah, she is some like initiating, maybe some kind of mother figure who's pushing him into the world. Maybe not of men exactly, but into this underworld. Yeah, and she goes on her own underworld journey as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, but she really yeah. like she really digs in the the twist the thumbscrews in this scene. I wrote down some of the quotes she says, mm-hmm. you know, that she kept thinking about this fantasy. And she talks about later Mm -hmm. on that she and Tom Cruise are talking about their daughter. And she says, we talked about the future. We made plans. And at no time was he ever out of my mind. And and then then further on, you know, she says, you know, you, the kids, I would have given it all up for one night. I would have given up my entire future, everything for one night. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, you were more dear to me than ever. And my love was both tender Mm -hmm. and sad. Uh, and she talks about being yeah. asleep and then dreaming and then she wakes up afraid and she doesn't know if she doesn't know if she's afraid that Tom Cruise had left her or if he might still be there. Mm-hmm. And that that right there is kind of like the right. the painful crux of of the long term relationship, perhaps, you know. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah, and it, it does seem from that, that, you know, through the sort of veneer of normal society and of monotheism and of and of us wanting to think that, think of ourselves as moral people, that there is this sort of pagan yearning just to abandon everything and, you know, experience something more ecstatic, obviously in this case through sexuality or sex. So. 
Right. And I, I think this is the, one of the points that's being made here is, you know, human beings are inherently pagan. You know, they do just want to follow their impulses, yeah, but yeah. there is a mutual understanding that they, they yeah, can't. Yeah, that's right. Because otherwise there's no civilization. And right, yeah. so much of this plays into the class stuff in the movie as well, but so much, I think of what is being said here is, you know, marriage itself is a mask in, in the case of mm -hmm. the middle class. Right. It, it is, um, yeah. it's part of their aspiration. And I think to demonstrate that, have you seen the movie that departed the Scorsese yeah, movie? No, I haven't actually. It's a Scorsese movie about the Irish say. mafia from the mid two thousands. It was really good, but there's this quote in it, uh, Matt Damon oh, in this okay. movie that really demonstrates this principle of marriage being, essentially it's an institution and it's something that people engage in in order as part of their economic drive as part mm -hmm. of their, yeah, their yeah, need yeah. to fit in and ascend the ranks of society mm -hmm. and so in this movie matt damon plays a it's a remake of the um, chinese film infernal affairs but um in in the movie matt damon plays a spy who is from the irish mafia who's placed with the police special investigations unit and alec baldwin is his his uh his presiding officer and Alec Baldwin, they're, they're golfing and Alec Baldwin says to Matt Damon, uh, and forgive the language, I'm quoting a Martin Scorsese movie. Uh, he says, you know, marriage is an important part of getting ahead. It lets people know you're not a homo. A married guy seems more <laughs> stable. People see the ring. They think, you know, at least somebody can stand the son of a bitch. Ladies see the ring. They know immediately <laughs> you must have some cash or your cock must work. And it's like that right mm -hmm. there kind of says it all. It's like, you know, like marriage is, mm -hmm. is not about love. It is in theory about children, but ultimately it's a mask that is worn for the benefit of society. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah. So that mask, you know, that tension is tested in this movie. And and it, like you're saying with the pagan, it's like clearly, mm -hmm. clearly everyone wants to be free of that. Mm -hmm. But one of the other core points this movie makes, I think, is that this is a uniquely middle class restriction because um, yeah, the middle class must, or the upper, upper middle class in Tom Cruise's case, must, you know, the whole idea of response, respectability is a middle class construction. And throughout this right. movie, there are many scenes where in addition to trying to escape the tension of his marriage, Tom Cruise tries to escape the tension of his, of his class position where, you know, there's lots mm -hmm. of scenes where he's going to prostitutes or, um, mm -hmm. primarily, but he, he can't, you know, the lower classes are seen as a comfort to him to escape to. Um, yeah. And he tries to get into the upper class, but that doesn't work. But it's also shown that right. the, the lower class does not have any of this need to wear masks around sexuality. Right. That's kind yeah. of like the, you know, a great a trope of literature. You know, there are scenes of mm -hmm. people having sex in the street, you know, after Christmas parties and there's prostitutes and things like that. Mm -hmm. But also the upper classes don't because they can create this elaborate charade, you know, charade where they're putting on masks and allowing themselves this pressure release in this kind of elite mm. secret society. So it's only right, him that's right. bound by that's <laughs> bound by sexuality. Everyone else has is either not concerned with putting on the mask or is powerful enough to take it off. But yeah. he's not. Yeah, that's right. 
Yeah, and I think there's something else that's, that's curious as well that might be related to this, and that is you all look around his apartment, there's lots of paintings, and even in his doctor's office, there's lots of original artwork as well. And, and it's actually his wife that was an art dealer, and it's almost as if maybe his, uh, his marriage has taken over his personality or his wife started to give him his personality that we don't really see much of dr bill in in even in his uh, doctor's office it's all presumably her artwork that's really or interesting i did not pick up on that sold. that's really interesting. yeah yeah that's also yeah. interesting because and, um, art dealer is very much a job of serving and selling to the rich yeah that's right very much so yeah yeah definitely with it comes, I think, probably with its own class aspirations attached to it. So, so, but you read it as that his he had lost yeah. his own personality as well in, in the marriage. I think so. I mean, I didn't get a, a great feeling of him being interested in this art, but it is all over his his office and all over his apartment as well. And it seems to be that you know that his her personality is creeping into every area of his life, which is maybe another reason why he needs to go and seek sex everywhere else as well. Although you know, it should be it should be said that of course um, all of the nearly all of the women in the movie have the same color hair and same kind of coloring as uh, Nicole Kidman. Oh, I didn't it's almost like that can't really okay. escape his wife. Yeah, pretty much all of them. Uh, Mandy, the prostitute, does. Um, I think Domino, who he tries to hook up with late, the girl in um, in the uh, uh, costume place, she has pretty much the same coloring. And then Mandy, of course, appears later on and rescues him from, from the orgy where there's some kind of implicit threat to his life. So, yeah, it's almost like he keeps going after the same woman. It's like his wife is sort of haunting him in some way. Or maybe... He wants to do more sexual things than she will do, but keeps going after the same kind of woman or is haunted by the same sort of figure. That's really interesting. And then, you know, by the end of the movie, he, of course, just has to accept his his place in the world. Um, but that's yeah, interesting. And I think that that right. is something very core to masculinity also, in, in at least in, in this type of context where... Um, and I think it's core to kind of left-handed initiation and conceptions of the world as well, where there's kind of an understanding that, um, you know, and I think it, the end of the movie really underlines this is that to a large extent, men, the, men's dark side is their true self. You know, their, right, their, yeah, their, exactly. their, their hidden yeah. self yeah. is the true self. The mask is not. Um, mm -hmm. But of course, they have to wear the mask and play yeah. the, the role of nice family right. man and responsible and all of that. But of course, yearn to experience, yearn to be themselves. Uh, not yeah, to to let that tension down and 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 often that is pursued outside the marriage because there's also I think an understanding with marriage or long term relationships that you you might be a werewolf as I think all men are, right. but you can't bring the wolf into yeah. the house. Right. But you yeah, also can't right. repress yeah. the wolf yeah. forever because it, it's not possible. Yeah. So what do you do? You know? And it's like right. in, in the movie, yeah. the, um, the rich have their answer. They have this whole elaborate, bizarre secret society thing where they're allowed to, uh, yeah. let it all out. Um, but what, what, you know, what, what is Tom Cruise 
gonna do and uh he's, he's yeah. struggling with this in this movie yeah that's right yeah that reminds me a little bit of the moon card you know where you have the, those two towers but you have the dog and the wolf and the dog is really just a domesticated wolf and the, presumably beneath the moon there's always this risk that the domesticated dog is going to turn into a wolf again and um you know people people tarot readers of generally say that that's a card of intuition which is intuition is really about things like you know uh, mastering a master musician but it's more really a card about instinct you know what are you going to turn into and on the full moon or when no one's looking and it's dark mm. and you know in your inner your wild nature is calling you again absolutely and um it's interesting also that even while he's kind of in this process of kind of going wild a little bit, which is only for one night, mm -hmm. basically, um, yeah, it all right, takes place night, within yeah. 24 hours. Um, so it's pretty vanilla yeah. at the end of the day. Nothing that shocking goes on. Mm -hmm. um, but he's also, it's, it's interesting, he, he, in some of his conversations with other people, he's doing his best to also uphold not just his public face but the institution of marriage there's a part where he interacts with a patient right. who uh, has just lost mm -hmm. her father and but also yeah. has just gotten married and he's saying oh congratulations that's wonderful and there's just this look of dread on her mm -hmm. face because she obviously does not want to be married <laughs> but he's just kind of like no yeah, you have yeah. to uphold just you know suck it up you have to uphold the illusion mm -hmm. and then and then she tries to have sex with him and she yeah. he refuses and says no you know like you have to and then and then interestingly enough this woman's husband comes in and looks very much like tom cruise right but perhaps one yeah, who is not right. maybe it perhaps maybe tom cruise who a version that has not faced his own dark side because he seems pretty like yeah. you know pretty pretty uh milk toast and kind of beat down and and domesticated right. <laughs> yeah he's very um smart and has nicely combed hair for sure so there's probably not much of a wild man uh, that comes through him i would think yeah um but yet so we see so tom cruise is you know, looking for love in all the wrong places, as they say. But I think there's some scenes in this also yeah. where if you remember, he's on the street and a gang of frat boys passes by and is kind yeah, of making fun right. of him. And his response to that is, you know, obviously to be upset. But I read it also as he's looking at them and it seems like he's upset that they're attacking him. But it seems like the look in his face is more like, I, I wish I was still like that. Yeah, I wish I was a still still a frat boy. <laughs> And I did not have all right, these social right. chains on me. And uh, in the original book, yeah. apparently, um, there's a whole lot of other stuff going there. The, the main character is Jewish in the original book. And a lot of the book is about mm -hmm. the... And that, that scene is meant to symbolize the anxiety of Jews in Austria at that period and being antagonized by, mm -hmm. by right, society. Yeah. But in this case, it seems more like he's, he's yearning for uh, his college days, perhaps. Yeah, that's an interesting scene. And some, some people have read it that it's really um, Stanley Kubrick poking fun at um, Tom Cruise, who, who, you know, has had all these gay rumors circulating around for years. So there's never been any 
proof of that. But um, and, and also, there's an uh, we'll see. We'll get back to the rainbow in a minute. But the rainbow obviously associated with um, uh, you know gay pride, etc. But um, you know, in, in a way, I think you could read it in totally the opposite way. There's one interesting thing when they're a group of hoodlums. Um, it's very faint, but the the main um, the main guy <clears throat> who is uh, talking very loudly and showing off about his sexual prowess, he talks about a uh, a stripper that was giving him a lap dance with a red rose <clears throat> in his mouth in her mouth. And there's a, there seems to be a lot of symbolism of red everywhere, especially in uh, Tom Cruise's apartment. This red curtains, red shows up. Yeah, so there's a, there's a lot of um, symbolism of red in the movie. So even in um, Tom Cruise's apartment, uh, they have red curtains or in the, in the painting behind, um, and there's a lot of red in, in that apartment. Um, but uh, and then in in uh, in the bathroom where he's uh, sort of trying to re- resuscitate the uh, the prostitute, the painting behind her is all red as well. But and it, and in his and uh, Tom Cruise, uh, Doctor Bill's apartment is there's a lot. You go to Ziegler's apartment; it's actually virtually all white, apart from that painting. And then, of course, in the mansion where the uh, sort of occultish orgy is taking place, uh, there's that sort of high priest figure who's wearing red red robe again, like a sort of satanic priest. So, you know, I I don't think it's a coincidence that when these hoodlums appear, that the main hoodlum is talking about a stripper with a red rose Mm. in her mouth. Is it maybe symbolizing the the sort of sexual that, you know, comes through the... the, uh, through the through our repression of, of sexuality, it, it arises anyway. It's sort of in our furnishings and you know in the painting behind us and in, in the mouth. In a way, you know these you know these hoodlums. Of course, they see um, uh, Tom Cruise or Doctor Bill and immediately start uh, making fun of him, calling him a homosexual and um, bending over and imitating gay sex or whatever and uh, you know in a way i think you could see them as actually being sexually repressed like why do they care about some guy on the street and they have to immediately start imitating gay sex and talking about it you know it's and why is this you know guy talking about you know sort of trying to boast of his sexual prowess because a stripper gave him a lap dance as if that's some you know big deal it's almost as if they're they're facing it in this quite weird way. <laughs> and and uh, yeah, so yeah, I think, you know, this sexual pre- repression seems to come through in different areas. Whereas Dr. Bill is trying his utmost to uh, indulge his uh, sexual desire at that moment. So. Interesting. Yeah, I, I actually did not pick up on that. Well, with the red, there's the. Um... So you, you took red as just a symbol of, 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 sec- of sexuality, just blatantly. Yeah, I, th- I think so. With the with the high priest in the orgy uh, wearing this red robe, and then this weird sort of red backdrop in the thing that you know the furnishings aren't something you really look at, but that are always there. You just when you know, in, I don't know if there's an expression in America, but in England, you know, being becoming part of the furniture just means yeah. that you've you've been accepted into someone's house and you become almost like a non-entity. And it strikes me as a bit like that, that there's some meaning there, but it's not something they're looking at anymore. It's just sort of there in the unconscious. Interesting. 
Yeah, and if you look at the painting in the bathroom, of, it has a naked woman on it on this sort of red rug with some sort of floor art like the furnishings uh, from a distance in, in Dr. Bill's apartment, actually. There's some kind of stylistic similarity. Interesting. Yeah, it's interesting you point out the like the the homophobic taunts of and and connecting it yeah. with Tom with Stanley Kubrick possibly taunting Tom Cruise uh, because there's that scene near the end of the movie where Alan Cummings shows up as the he's running the, the right. hotel and it's just yeah. this unbelievably erotically charged yeah. scene that doesn't really seem to be in there for any reason. Uh, and it's an amazing performance, right, yeah. um, but Tom Cruise is just like, looks mm -hmm. extremely uncomfortable in that scene. And yeah. it, it definitely, on one hand, it, it really, um, this is an unbelievably white and straight movie. And mm -hmm. I think you, the first time a black person even shows up is I believe the, the attendant in the infirmary. And everyone at the orgy is white. And so, right. the, and, and yeah. women largely, possibly outside of Nicole Kidman and his daughter, largely exist either as prostitutes or, um, mm -hmm. you know, to say, you know, to, to facilitate Tom Cruise's story in the, the, the case of Mandy, who trades herself for him. And so mm -hmm. it's kind of like anyone who is not straight or white in this movie is not even not part of the main drama they're just like so on the periphery that, are, that they're no longer yeah. involved in the story almost right. um, and that's <laughs> that scene kind of pointed that out where it could be read as um it actually i think could be read as another one of tom cruise's boundary tests or or sexual uh adventures in the sense that mm. you can tell and there is something about about heterosexual men also where you know, they have to, like the frat boys, or like that quote from The Departed, you know, demonstrate that they're not gay. Yet at the same mm -hmm. time, they really need the affirming gaze of gay men. Like they need to still feel like, well, at least, you know, I'm desirable. You know, if they were rejected by gay men as undesirable, they would probably be probably go apeshit, right? It's like they, they need to feel desired mm -hmm. in order to... Um, validate themselves in with the same with women right yeah well it's funny yeah you mentioned that i was in um i was in a uh i don't know if it was, it was technically a drag club i think it was years and probably about 20 years ago and some friends had invited me it was a, a birthday party of mine we went along as a group and yeah what we couldn't help but notice was it was this sort of like jocks from sort of like the hoodlums in the street scene in Eyes Wide Shut. It was these all more sort of jock hoodlum type guys who were really, really like a little bit too into these uh, drag queens. And and they and weirdly, those were the guys that the drag queens were really gravitating towards. It wasn't us at all. It was just the exact opposite of the people you would think. You know, you think they might be you know, gravitating to sort of artistic people, but no, it was these New Jersey suburbanites. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what did you make of that? Uh, that the they weren't going there just for the uh, the jokes that the drag queens were dishing out. There was some sort of weird sexual tension between these really, you know, not muscular guys, but sort of like jock-like, ordinary suburban new jersey guys you know the, the probably are a bit homophobic at the same time i did find that really 
weird and maybe insightful. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah, I think so. Um, But that also shows, I mean, like a lot of the masks that people wear in society are just that. Yeah. It's all performed. And I think that interestingly, and now I want to talk about the orgy scene also, um, there is homosexuality happening in the orgy, both between yeah. um, women performatively, but there's also a male couple dancing at one point. That's and th- right. that's shown, it's kind yeah. of, it's like, well, they have their masks on now, so perhaps they can mm-hmm. indulge uh, in their true selves in that sense, in a way. Um, but let's talk yeah. about, let's talk about, let's talk about the orgy because this is obviously the scene that everyone remembers. It is now the most politically yeah. <laughs> loaded scene. We are living, you know, post Jeffrey Epstein. Um, yeah. And it's kind of like, on one hand, this is obviously metaphorical. Um, mm-hmm. It's a dream sequence. There's tons of metaphorical significance mm-hmm. to it. But parties like this, of course, do actually happen. And uh, there's a, uh, you, I don't know if you've seen this, there's a Vice News segment where they have anonymous interviews with people who work at um, high-priced hotels talking about all the insane mm-hmm. things and parties that happen with rich people oh, really? and, and what all the messes they've had to mm-hmm. clean up mm-hmm. and it, it may and, and it's just like stuff like this right it also made me think that whenever you have a scene mm-hmm. like this in a movie it's always from the perspective of the voyeur you never get it from right. the perspective yeah. of the facilitator or the person who has to clean up afterwards <laughs> Yeah, well, I think that is the one thing about the scene. It, you know, say what you like about it. You know, at least the opening is very beautifully shot on this. And obvi- obviously, these people have a great sense of aesthetics um, from the, you know, the little bit I've, I've heard about such scenes. They tend to be a lot more tawdry <laughs> and, right. and a lot less yeah. aesthetically beautiful. Yeah, <laughs> I think we, we we both know that. It's it's basically like if yeah, are there secret societies? Yeah, but they're way lower budget and there's way fewer girls. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's interesting. It should probably be said that, you know, when he arrives, he has to give a password, which is what obviously, uh, you know, what makes people link it to Freemasonry and it or the Illuminati or something like that in the minds of the general populace that you're entering the secret society and you have a password and and the, the password is, you know, significant to the plot. It's Fidelia, a, a Beethoven um, yes. uh, opera. And um, I, I don't know if you know the plot of that. I looked that it opera, up. Uh, yeah. it, it's about a woman. Yeah, me too. It's about a woman who rescues her husband from a dungeon, mm-hmm. which seems to directly relate to rescuing uh, Dr. Bill or, or Tom Cruise from, from the orgy when he, when there seems to be some threat against his life, but yeah, but getting back to the beginning of the, or prior to the orgy as he enters into this, um, uh, mansion somewhere upstate New York. Uh, yeah. there's this very elaborate, uh, ritual of women unrobing to this very sort of atmospheric, uh, occultish music with this sort of, high priest figure in a red robe and a, and a mask and all of the other participants are masked of course and going through this very well rehearsed uh ritual being and then going calmly off with some figure in the audience which, which you know is kind of interesting and maybe beautiful to a certain extent and, and obviously disturbing in another way 
Uh, and then after that, there's just lots of scenes of uh, or- orgies and sex and nudity, etc. And uh, Dr. Bill is taking a tour of all this, sort of taking it all in. Yeah, and, and th- it is interesting that the password is Fidelio also, because I think the, the English translation Fidelio, of, of, the, yeah. of the German, of the actual, of the full title of the of the opera is Lenore or the Triumph of Marital Love. That's right. Yeah. 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 And in the plot, his, his, the, the man's wife who rescues him has to disguise herself. And it's to also go into a a descent into the underworld like um, Inanna. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. So a couple really key things happen in this scene. And I may not be, I may or may not have interpreted this correctly because I'd had a few drinks by this time when I was watching the movie. But um, (laughs) there's a part where, okay, there's a few things to talk about here. One is it's, he can't get in without a mask, which is pretty hilarious given the state of our world right right now. Uh, and, And yes. And also there's a part when he goes in where there's two figures on the balcony spot him and turn and look at him and it's kind of suggested by the mm-hmm. plot that the, there's a man and a woman it's i think it's kind of suggested by the plot later that that was uh sydney pollock that was his his patient from earlier in the movie but that's never confirmed but the way that i read mm-hmm. it um the way that i read it on rewatching it is it's a man and a woman specifically who both turn and look at him and they're clearly older. And so I, I, it, I read it as a parental thing and mm. that he's, that this is an initiation. It's like, he's seeing, like you said, with the, he's seeing, um, through the illusion in a way of society. And it's like his parents mm. are saying, yes, it is all a lie you know, everything is a light. Well, right. you know, now to, you know, cause so much of this movie is, I think the message is true initiation into adulthood is accepting that. And you kind of get mm-hmm. that with mm-hmm. the scenes with the daughter where Tom Cruise and Nicole Kidman are projecting that after all of this has been through, they're still putting on a good face for the daughter and pretending everything is mm-hmm. normal and fine for the daughter. So it's like, yeah, the illusion right. is projected for the sake of, of children. And then it made me mm-hmm. think as children become older, as they become teenagers, young adults, they begin to realize that it's an illusion and they get really angry and they start peeling away and seeing things for mm-hmm, being illusion mm-hmm. and, and, and questing for the truth and all of the things that young people do. But yeah. ultimately to become an yeah. adult is not only to accept the illusion, but to accept your part in maintaining it. It's essentially to become a co-conspirator. It's like right. you also become part of the conspiracy of adults, maintaining mm-hmm. the illusion, understanding that it's done for the benefit of children mm. of society it's like you know the, the right. religion must be maintained and so i i saw yeah. this as like a primal scene of tom cruise witnessing kind of like the truth that you know this idea of true love and all of this is is just it's it's a made-up fiction for the middle class and that people actually are right. werewolves behind the scenes and his parents are there and they're saying like yes right yes welcome you know deal with it you're an you're an adult now you know uh, we also are part of this conspiracy yeah it could be entirely right in that 
in that interpretation because that is certainly present at the end of the movie as you say when he's walking through the toy shop with uh, Nicole Kidman and his daughter and they're trying to behave like nothing has happened or nothing really well I guess something has happened you went to an orgy but you know nothing he didn't engage in anything so right once again he's uh out of luck but um yeah, did you see the uh, True Detective, the TV show? No, I don't think so. Uh, highly, highly recommended. The first season is great. Okay. Um, there's just a part it, you don't need the context for, it, but there's a part where Matthew Matthew McConaughey uh, does this great ca- career defining role as a, uh, um, you know, extremely dark uh, um, uh, police officer, and he says to mm. one of uh, one of the female characters uh, who is his police partner is divorcing his wife or his wife is divorcing his partner. Um, mm-hmm. and, and Matthew McConaughey says to her, um, you know, basically think of the children, not in those words, but he says like, it's, you know, he basically tr- tells her just like uphold the illusion. You know, what is this for? If not for mm-hmm. children, there's nothing except for children. That's what all of this is for. Right. Like d- you just, just deal with, living in mm. the in the lie you know it's because it's not about mm. you marriage is not about the happiness of the people in the marriage it's in right, a sense, right. and this movie makes that point too that marriage is for everyone but the two people involved in it <clears throat> it's it's performed mm-hmm. for society it's for children it's to maintain appearances it is to facilitate capital and it, it this is not movie is also not critiquing that it's upholding it in the end because Mm -hmm. one thing that i noticed is never in this entire movie does anyone mention divorce or or splitting up once right that's right yeah not at all which i would probably be different now it would be kind of like it would be like well he's he's a toxic sociopath you have to leave him and you know some type of instagram thing but yeah definitely yeah but there's this understanding that the bond is eternal yeah and i don't think there is even any divorced people in in the movie right because even even nick nightingale the pianist is married although his although his family lives in another state so he could quite easily just divorce or will be playing around but he doesn't seem to be doing either as well so and why make, right. make him married why shouldn't he just be a single guy right and that's so interesting and and of course this is based on a book from the 20s but mm-hmm. you know the conception of society changed so much after the 60s where the the idea became yeah you know, one's following one's bliss is, is paramount above all. Like, you know, the happiness of the individual is more important than marriage. It is more important even than children. Uh, and, and that's perhaps, uh, it's a totally different conception than I think the, you know, prior to the sixties in many cases, divorces was divorce was illegal. Um, and uh, I don't know about the UK, but it was in a lot of, a lot of places in the U S so there was a sense that if you're married, you're married. Yeah. And if there's problems, yeah, right. drink about it, you know? Yeah, yeah. And, you know, one thing that should be said about that, of course, or should be remembered is that there wasn't female contraception until the late 60s. 
And, you know, people look back today and say, well, why did people get married young? Why did they stay married? Or why weren't they having sex all over the place? Well, it's a really simple answer. The women were going to get pregnant. So <laughs> that's that's why you didn't have multiple sexual partners. And that's why you got married. Because if you had sex and you were a woman, you were going to get pregnant and have a child. And that's just the end of it. So, so that's, you know, obviously from the time immemorials have insisted on people getting married and having families so that you don't have you know tribes full of children running around that nobody knows who the, who they belong to and you know men are hacking each other to pieces through jealousy as well so yeah that i think let's talk about that because that is not necessarily part of this movie but definitely came to mind a lot while watching it in that um, social attitudes yeah. have changed a lot even since I mean this movie came out 23 years ago and things have changed a lot even since yeah. then and I think that particularly yeah. now That's people true. are not perhaps not even interested in maintaining the inst institution of marriage I think there's a wide uh, right. dissatisfaction with it with both genders yeah uh, there's an understanding that it's a yeah. financial liability that mm -hmm. it's a it's a it's a lie it's more of a liability than an asset and um that's a yeah, that's a, sure. a true tragedy and under you know un really mm -hmm. undermines the basis of civilization in a sense mm -hmm. and and but maybe not i don't yeah. you know it's like it, we're kind of in this period of experimentation where people are willing to um mm -hmm. drop the illusion and you know you see people experimenting with things like polyamory to varying degrees of unsuccess mm. and and things like that um mm. and so there is not the social there's not even the social pressure as much to be married in fact i mean women often are celebrated for yeah. not getting married yeah. instead pursuing careers yeah, that's and, right and definitely so yeah. yeah i think you know i mean who knows what the future will hold but and, you know, and certainly uh, many man marriages have been miserable uh, in the past. Uh, maybe even the majority of marriages were miserable. And as you say, people stay together for the children and because it was impossible to do that is far from a, an ideal situation, of course. But uh, I think, you know, t today with this push, you know, especially to make women into into workers and consumers i don't by people who call themselves anti-capitalist notably um you know this this idea that your life should be uh should be work and consumption uh, this has certainly never satisfied uh, anyone as far as i can see and you know you know, many marriages might have been miserable, but 70% of Americans at least their jobs. Well, now 70% of women hate their jobs. And that's why we have to have so much consumption because people want to feel that, well, I hated my entire week, but at least I can get drunk or I can buy something that I like and get temporary satisfaction from from buying something. So, you know, I don't think that this these new ways are, are going to prove uh, satisfactory and certainly um, mental illnesses are 
massively on on the rise and have been over the last few decades or last couple of decades especially but uh, yeah so it's difficult to know uh, what to do really in in terms of society as a whole i mean i don't arrived in the same way that it was but um you know endless fleeting relationships are also pretty miserable as well so yeah uh, I, I think profoundly uh, miserable. All of those things are profoundly yeah. miserable. Um, yeah. And uh, I think people are starting to realize that. And a, a lot of this yeah. movie is just, um, you know, suffused with, the, you know, the machinations of capital, capital in a way. You know, it's like there's all this class stuff mm-hmm. is going on, but also women are all see, seen as for sale and even this, the daughter of yeah, the right. of the uh, the the cost the costume salesman is shown mm-hmm. that he's just prostituting her, and this is like shocking for Tom Cruise. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, that's right. And that's a pretty harsh harsh scene. And I wasn't actually quite sure what to make of that scene, so I want to come back and get your thoughts yeah. on that as well. But um, sure, yeah. I mean, the point of this movie, I think, is it almost could have been made in the other than the obvious content. Um, it could have been made in the fifties in this, in the sense that this is such, um, Mm -hmm. this is kind of like, it's such an adult message in the true sense. It's just that, um, it's not about you. It's not about your happiness. Marriage is not supposed to make you happy. So Mm -hmm. people of course are willing to discard it if they're not happy and just go on to the next thing. But it's kind of like, well, Mm -hmm. that's the point, you know, it's like, it's, and, Mm -hmm. but you seek pressure releases where you can perhaps, Mm -hmm. but it's, it's a sacrifice taken on for, um, at least to maintain the illusion of the middle class. And perhaps, perhaps actually now that I'm thinking about it, it's Mm -hmm. not a coincidence that the middle class is vanishing, uh, throughout the Western world. It's like, you know, perhaps it, the the fundamental nature of the middle class is, is upholding this play and, and Mm -hmm. the set of masks. And without that, it's like, well, what, what are people, but as you were pointing out, uh, consumers and then they don't have class interest anymore. They're just there to, um, yeah, be subjects of capital. Yeah. Well, and the other, the other, I mean, the disappearance of the, or the shrinking of the middle class is definitely tied to the shrinking of marriage because, you know, when you think about it, um, single parent families uh, typically are not middle class. They're usually forced into uh, sort of working class or, or worse conditions. And that means the children of that relationship uh, are going to get a, a very poor in comparative to what they would do if, if the, uh, if the mother and father stayed together and, you know, are more likely to have a low paying job or wind up in prison or with addiction and so on. So, yeah. So, you know, in a sense, the marriage is a, is a, is a, an illusion or a veneer or something you, you do to maintain appearances and to prop up the middle class. But without it, yeah, you get this dwindling middle class and then you get the extremely rich and then the poor. And uh, yeah, and and people that perhaps could have risen up and growing up in poverty and growing up without proper education. So, yeah. It's really You you mentioned, um, yeah, definitely. You you mentioned uh, sacrifice. I think one of the the interesting things 
or more interesting parts of the movie, of course, is when uh, Mandy, the prostitute who is at that orgy, she sacrifices herself so that Tom Cruise or Dr. Bill can can live and leave. And, and you know, and it's, it's definitely true that the women are all portrayed as purchasable and you know prostitutes or sex workers or or people or, or individuals who can at the very least be some status and yeah at the same time this this it's almost a kind of you know christ moment right you know that she's still going to sacrifice herself for him uh, and but at the same time, she's you know sort of going to be degraded. You know, Jesus was on the cross and humiliated, and this would appear to be what's going to happen to her. And maybe she even is being humiliated. But in this sort of degradation, she manages to um, be the one person that acts nobly in the entire scene, maybe even in the entire movie, almost that that she's going to sacrifice her life. And of course, this movie, this. Um, you know, the, the name of the opera, Fidelio, and the theme, you know, suggests that there's some kind of link between the, the prostitute Mandy who sacrifices herself and Nicole Kipman as if she's some sort of astral projection of mm. uh, of uh, Dr. Bill's wife. But, but yeah, in that sort of, in that degradation, she seems to rise up and become noble somehow. So. Yeah, that, that scene is really interesting. Um... I, I had a lot of thoughts about it. One is, um, it's later revealed that she is an ex beauty queen. And yeah, that's there's right. kind of an undercurrent there of, you know, she's fallen, she's past a certain age and has now just become yeah. a subject of, of capital just to be owned and degraded, you know, and no longer valued. Yeah. And that's a, quite an extremely dark message. Um, but also, mm-hmm. um, Tom Cruise never fully recognizes that sacrifice. I mean, like he sees her dead in the morgue mm. and is shocked that she's dead. But, you know, for, forgive me, but it is just this profound moment of male privilege where he's just like, well, of course she would sacrifice herself for me. I'm the protagonist. Like, of course I'm the protagonist. I'm, you know, I'm the straight white male. I'm Tom Cruise, you know. Uh, and and mm-hmm. that underlies his interactions with, for instance, Alan Cumming as well, where he just kind of expects people to, um, you know, treat him as the the center of the universe. And, but he's kind of, he never fully recognizes that or pays that off or um, does his own atonement for that. And then he has the later conversation with Sidney Pollack mm-hmm. where it's just like, she's utterly in, like inconsequential to the rich where, he, you know, he's just saying, well, right. you know, she was a junkie. Yeah. The cops showed up, the police were happy, mm-hmm. you know, who cares? She doesn't matter. It's just completely mm-hmm. inconsequential. And yeah, that also right. is extremely dark. But yeah, yeah. But she, he also, Sidney Pollock also in that scene says, and it's never, it's never fully explained. And I d- didn't know what to make of this. And I'm, I'm really curious what your thoughts mm-hmm. were. He says, he points out this was also a mask. This was also a performance. He said that that was a charade as well. And that, right, that actually yeah, was not right. a true sacrifice, that that was like put on yeah. uh, as, a, as a part of the play. Mm-hmm. But he doesn't explain how or why, and that's yeah. never delved into further. Mm-hmm. What, yeah. what were your thoughts yeah, on that? Yeah, and it, seem, it seems like, yeah, and obviously that, I mean, it's it's really other, the explanation he's been given is just to kind of satisfy him so that he'll stop 
looking into it or, or whether it really is true. So we don't really know if, if she was murdered or not. But, um, but yeah, I mean, the, the one thing that would suggest that that might be true is that, you know, it does seem to be rehearsed. And, you know, how many other times would there have been a situation where there would be this question and answer where she's rescuing someone? I mean, presumably that wouldn't have happened before, but, you know, but the, even in this, in this dialogue, it, it seems it makes clear to her that she she knows what will happen in this circumstance if she persists in you know sacrificing herself for him. But how will she really know? Because I mean, how many other people have snuck in there before? Presumably right. none. Yeah, and and it, it's it's unclear why they know he's. It's not only that they know he's not meant to be there, because presumably they mm. would just kill him or kick him out. But they then make him the center of the entire right, thing. Yeah um and yeah you're not sure why or if somebody tipped them off but then later on i thought this was actually yeah this was actually fairly interesting it's revealed that the reason they mm-hmm. knew he was um he was a fake was that he showed up in a taxi and yeah so it's like his class signifiers give him away it's like well you know you don't have a limo so you don't belong here it's like him walking in with the run and right. you know i think particularly in england right it's like class is so much Mm-hmm. shown by small oh, yeah, things like sure. shoes or buttons or uh, yeah turn of phrase or and that accent type of thing. especially yeah. yeah and he just you know as much yeah, as definitely. even with a mask he could not pull off uh he's clearly just not one of them that's right so he's rejected by the rich but i think also interestingly enough he's rejected by the poor as well there's a lot of scenes mm-hmm. where he's trying to kind of get escape into the shelter of like he there's a scene where he's in a a, a cafe with working class people mm-hmm. and that's shown as just completely right. benign and comforting um and he's going to yeah. prostitutes where he he probably arguably feels the most comfortable in the movie um yeah but then he yeah. goes back and the prostitute that he almost slept with uh, has been revealed to be hiv mm-hmm. positive uh yeah, so it's like well he right. can't you know he's he's yeah. pushed out of the he can't go there either so he's stuck. Mm-hmm. He's stuck exactly where he started from. Mm-hmm. That kind of brings us further towards the end of the movie where the message seems to mm-hmm. be just know your place, except that this is where you are in society and that he has to reconcile to that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, at the very end, there is this weird uh, dialogue between Dr. Bill and his wife, Alice. And, and he says, oh, the thing is, a dream is never just a dream. And she says, but the important thing is that we're awake now and hopefully we will be for a long time. Clear whether the, uh, these things really took place at all or if it was just a dream or if, if it was partly a dream and partly reality so and it seems like reality and the dream will mix together in ways that can't really be separated yeah even even his his jealousy is is ultimately just a jealousy of a, of a fantasy that she had not of a real thing that happened so right but it still made him have a real reaction to it yeah absolutely and um yeah, there's that moment where he finally returns home at the end and the mm-hmm. ominous piano is now playing in his house. So he's yeah, not been able yeah. to compartmentalize. Uh, I think there's also mm-hmm. an interesting resonance here with Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. 
um, where you mm-hmm. doctor the the classic story is that Doctor Jekyll is the respectable doctor that um, yeah you know, transforms into the disrespectable Mister Hyde, and this is essentially. Mm-hmm. The, the nature of men right it's it's like not just a horror story it's like this yeah. is like the, the nature of men that they have to, yeah. to to navigate and I, there are lots of scenes of tom cruise walking around uh new york kind of like in a in a long uh, uh coat with leather mm-hmm. gloves on and he looks very much like the classic depictions of of uh, dr jekyll um but he comes mm-hmm. back at the end here and the mask that he had forgotten the mask the mask is on the his pillow and the the, the gigs mm-hmm. up yeah and i think it was yeah, not right. i didn't read it really as much as her discovering that he'd been sneaking around it was more the recognition that his 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 dark side is you know his is his true self it's like the mask had mm. been slipped had slipped the mask was in bed with his wife and right. that was i think making the point that his whole you know, he's so prior, so easy, easily can compartmentalize. He comes back, uh, prior and it's, you know, he immediately goes into family man and his daughter runs out, runs out and says, hi, daddy. And she, he, he returns to being mm-hmm. the, the, um, the family man, but now, yeah. now it slips and it's not just that it slips, but it's shown that that's the mask, you know, his, his, his dark side is his true self. Mm-hmm. And that, and that perhaps this is also true of right. Nicole Kidman. And there's like this, just this, moment of mutual recognition it's mm-hmm. like they they you know they begin the movie in denial of each other's dark side and they mm-hmm. end the movie accepting that each has this dark side and and, yeah. and accepting it and and yeah she says we're awake now and for a long time to come forever and she says you know forever mm-hmm. frightens me but there's this, mm-hmm. this recognition that they're they're they see each other as complete beings now and they stay married, which is, I think it's really a romantic story and an important story and a mature story. Yeah. 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 I mean, just to mention the rainbow symbolism, um, which has been linked to the idea that Kubrick was poking fun at um, Tom Cruise for being gay, which I don't think it is because, you know, in, in Ziegler's uh, apartment in his a party those two female models are trying to seduce him and they say don't you want to see where the don't you want to go where the rainbow ends right and right. um that doesn't say i mean so i don't think that i mean sure uh it is true that the rainbow flag for example of uh, the, the gay movement uh, came from the wizard of oz that's that's true and the, the, the rainbow and the wizard of oz but uh but it's two women trying to seduce him it's not two men so that seems entirely heterosexual and even in the rainbow fashions um you know the, the sexual object is that girl it's not a boy or a, or a man but um but i think you know the idea that we all want to go to the end of the rainbow where there's this crock of gold or where everything is more colorful or this other world that's more interesting is is kind of what haunts everybody right but in the in the end you have to deal with reality as it is and you can make it more colorful but maybe you can only do that if you embrace your dark side yeah but I, i think now that you put it like that i think there's perhaps an even darker message there which is Yes, these two women say, you know, don't you want to know where the 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 rainbow goes? And of course, he wants to because yeah. it's these two beautiful women. Yeah. And it's like, well, maybe just this yeah. one time. Um, but then he ends up <laughs> obviously at this costume store called, you know, Rainbow Clothes or whatever it's yeah. called. So th- that's pretty on the nose. And 
where does the rainbow end? It's like teenage prostitution. You know, it's like if he follows his yeah, despicable, right. his, dis- yeah. his own desires, he's going to end up not just Mr. Mm-hmm. Hyde, but, you know, mm-hmm. th- th- there's a reason why certain standards have to be upheld in society. It's like there's there's a world. The other world is not necessarily one of sexual liberation. It may be one of degradation and evil that that mm-hmm. I think this the, the institutions yeah. of society are quite intentionally set up against. And I think that's something that people perhaps um under can understand through the process of real magical initiation. That it's like, yes, um mm-hmm. everything is an illusion. Every you know, society is an illusory construction. Mm-hmm. But the thing on the other side of that is so infinitely worse, you realize why the illusion has to be upheld. Right. Yeah, I mean, yeah, this idea that, you know, bridled indulgence in pleasure leads somewhere dark. I mean, it certainly does. Obviously, you think of drug addiction or even pornography as well, you know, where a lot of people, if if you uh, read about that, you know, a lot of people begin by looking at things that are, you know, pretty tame and end up over a period of months um, because they need uh, more and more outrageous things to get the same sort of dopamine hit they end up looking at some very dark kind of material that they wouldn't have ever have dreamed they would be looking at yeah and i think you know you know we've been talking about the dark side as you know this uh, getting in touch with sexual desire or whatever but from an, another perspective the the dark side is the ability to cut things off that need to be cut off right yeah. it's it's not you know it's the, the ability to def- defend yourself and stand your ground and say no as well yeah and um you know maybe maybe um uh, dr bill was really not in touch with this dark side it doesn't seem to be able to say no to anything although never quite able to consummate anything at the same time but you know maybe um you know, this is something he had to learn as well to to be able to fight and say no to something or say no to these sort of dark feelings as well. Absolutely. And I think that really is the meaning of initiation in a lot of ways. I think in, in all the classic yeah. stories of, you know, an honest descent to the underworld or any of these initiation mm-hmm. stories from world culture where somebody goes to fairyland or goes to a you know, shamanic question comes back. Um, they come back in the mm-hmm. end. They never, you know, and there's always the, the point mm-hmm. made that you can't stay there and you actually have to be extremely on guard yeah. while you're there. Um, that for instance, somebody mm-hmm. doesn't give you like a, uh, pomegranate that condemns you to stay there forever, or you don't mm-hmm. accept a gift in fairyland. Or I think yeah. there's a part in the orgy where the head of the order says something you know be, be very careful what you say you know promises made here or forever that they're binding right. something yeah. like that and yeah. Yeah. so the point of, of successful initiation is to come back to the status quo mm-hmm. with a new knowledge of what is outside of that and uh, a, a, yeah. a and then being ready to take your place in society as somebody that is upholding it and i think that last part is very mm-hmm. much something that is often missing from even occult narratives or, or initiatory narratives in, in actual magical systems. It's like the, the point is mm-hmm. not to mm-hmm. undermine or destroy society. It's to see what's on the yeah. other side of it and then come back and uphold it. Yeah. At least that's one form of, that's the classic yeah, what you know definitely. message throughout world history. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's right. I mean, 
people look at Alistair Crowley and the Golden Dawn and the Ordo Templi Orientis, but and think of them as wild, you know, sexual magicians or rule breakers. And that, that may have been true, but they were also people who were very upper middle class, who uh, had a good knowledge of the Bible and of society and were very cultured as well. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the Golden Dawn in particular is an extremely middle class phenomenon, you know, um, and, and Crowley yeah. very much was, although he was extremely downward, downwardly mobile and, you know, quite arguably <laughs> did did end in or certainly went through long periods of degradation and annihilation and collapse yeah. and you know yeah i mean crowley is too complex well, to ever he, give any simple explanation of but you yeah know. very much so definitely definitely but he, you know even crowley expresses in i think in his autobiography or autohagiography that the, the world is collapsing and we need to save the best parts yeah of it. yeah and i really i actually that's one of the things he said that i really took to heart i mean he think he says in that, that at one point that the point of his work is to um, shore up, is to like build an arc of the knowledge of civilization so that it can be right, reassembled yeah, if it yeah. collapses. And, and interestingly enough, yeah. um, you know, the big blue version of book four, when you take the dust jacket off, mm. also has the Star of Ishtar on the cover. Oh, there you go. <laughs> uh, and he saw it as the, the symbol of the Sumerian tradition, which he was at that point in his life. Um, felt he was there to resurrect, which was, which was interesting. Mm. But yeah, I think there's, mm. um, that very much is the nature of initiation. And I think people who go through any type of real occult initiation, not a kind of fantasy version will inevitably mm. be confronted with, uh, almost unbearable evil and darkness. And that was certainly the case with, yeah. in, in my life. And then they have to, mm -hmm. they, they have to, see it and experience it and then make the very conscious decision to banish it you know and that doesn't mean something as glib as a banishing ritual yeah, that's but right. you know the true meaning of the sword and the golden yeah. dawn it's like you know you well now you know so other people yeah. around you don't know but you know so you better yeah. make sure that it doesn't touch them yeah that's right yeah that, that's a, that's an interesting point because today we you know everything seems to be so culturally relative and and what and, and there's no evil except you know whatever you know, whatever is the latest flavor in politics, but mm. but you know, if you go for an initiation, you understand. Yeah, some things just are evil, and they're not about what's in vogue this month. It's something primordial and archetypal. That's right, and that is actually why you understand that society does need to be propped. What's underneath it is, um, you know, is far worse and. You know, t today a lot of people think that well, our society makes makes men patriarchal or whatever. But what do you think is going to happen if society collapses? It won't be people sitting around being nice to each other. We'll be murdering each other in gangs yeah. and oppressing anyone that we can. Yeah, it'll be cartels, you know. So um, yeah, it'll be cartels exactly, and and all kinds of just all kinds of chaos, and 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 that's yeah. really. This is a just such a key cultural point. I mean, in you know, Gabura in the tree is the ability to separate one thing for, from another, and that's mm -hmm. the thing that, um, for whatever reason, uh, so much of culture has decided is is aberrant. It's like in mm -hmm. in many cases, I, I notice in interacting with people, particularly very very left wing people, um, that yeah. for them the only sin is to be judgmental. 
And it's like, well, yeah, that's right. We, we have that for a reason because there is, um, yeah. And, and of course, like uh, unharnessed Gabura, unharnessed power is cruelty, right? Um, and, or sadism, and that is it's it's a negative aspect. But mm. the positive aspect is the sword. It's the ability to divide that which supports life from that which does not. And without yeah, that, right. it's like it's like trying to move around without a skeletal system. And mm -hmm. that's something that needs to be grappled with again. And, and also, I think the understanding of evil is so important in that we now have a kind of, as sophisticated people, we have this understanding of evil that, well, it's, you know, socially, it's the, the product of socioeconomic conditions. It's the product of, um, you know, structures within society. It's actually just the system has induced this in people and actually somehow it's our fault. Um, but no, I, I think particularly from the initiated perspective, or if you look at things from um, Eastern philosophy, for instance, like why does evil, why does evil exist? Because it decides to, yeah. it's yeah. like, because it wants to, right. it enjoys being evil. Mm -hmm. You know, evil people want to be evil. Mm -hmm. They're not like victims of yeah, some framework. Right. They're choosing to be evil, you know, and it's yeah. like, but, and that's very different from mm -hmm. somebody who, for instance, is, is pushed by poverty to steal or, 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 or worse, right? Yeah. There's a difference between that and willful mm -hmm. evil, which very much does exist in the world. And it seems like people have forgotten that. They just see yeah. the other yeah. political side as being evil, like like you were pointing out. Definitely. Yeah, I think it's always interesting to reflect on what words have disappeared from society. And I noticed over the last 10 years, probably, um, well, a couple of words have disappeared. One is evolution and the other is psychology. And of course, psychology has disappeared because... Um, you know, while 10, 15, 20 years ago, everybody wanted to psychologize everybody else with their pop psychology. N now, no one wants to believe that anything could be our responsibility. And it's just mm. that society somehow has repressed certain people. And that's why it's as if they don't actually have a mind of their own or any kind of conscious or subconscious yeah, that's really, um, I was thinking about that a lot a couple, a couple of years ago. And it's like, if you trace back that idea, um, it clearly uh, is an enlightenment construct, or rather yeah. anti-construct, yeah, sure. the idea that, and, and, and if you look at the, his, the history of, to make a broad statement, I think if you really peel things down to their philosophical core, um, the left, the actual left versus right argument is nature versus nurture. In the sense that yeah, the, totally, yeah. the, the ultimate argument of, of liberalism in the true cosmic, you know, essential mm -hmm. sense is that it's Rousseau. It's like human beings are innately good. And if they're doing things mm -hmm. wrong, it's because they've had evil structures placed on them. And that obviously, yeah, yeah. that idea underlies so much of the current cultural discussion. And uh, yeah. uh, the right is, no, human beings are innately evil and sinful. Um, and therefore they must have structure placed on them to prevent, prevent them mm -hmm. from causing chaos, which is, is there due to the condition perhaps of a original sin, which is, as I think the position this movie is coming from actually. Yeah. Um, but if you look back yeah, at that historically, right. it's like, well, where did this, this wasn't a historical, it's like this, this idea, um, that yeah. humans are innately good and must be freed of structure comes from 
I would argue, mm -hmm. the contact of Europe with the New World and Europe, Europeans mm -hmm. seeing Native Americans and romanticizing and mm -hmm. idealizing them yeah. and seeing not and and not seeing them as human beings, seeing them as this quote unquote noble right. savage, not recognizing that they're also yeah. human beings, projecting this idealized free self and actually bringing back Native yeah. Americans to be ogled at by everyone in France and Europe and things like this. And um, that we get that yeah. book by Rousseau about this. And that that underlied all these uh, revolutions in Europe and the idea that, if, well, mm -hmm. if they're so free, then all we <laughs> need to do is over, you know, throw out all of the structures that are on us and we will return to this innocent, innocent state yeah. of nature. And there's obviously an anti-clerical an anti-Catholic thing mm -hmm. as well, because yeah. the other thing that's being rejected sure. there historically is the Catholic Church and the, the doctrine of original sin. It's like, well, if original sin exists, why are people in America who are untouched by European civilization so apparently free and happy and at one with nature? We mm -hmm. should be like them. It's like we and and so you get the anti-clerical movements and. So that yeah. obviously is pretty problematic, right? Because it it just idealizes other people. And does not sure. recognize the, their their dark side or, or see them as human beings. It's just a no. Um, that's right. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, and, and you know this is not a new thing. Of course, Tacitus, the Roman historian, wrote about the how wonderful the Germanic tribes were, even though they were savage. But uh, but you know partly to criticize the Roman Empire and its behavior. So it's not a not a new thing. But but yeah, I know obviously it didn't it. Europeans, when they came across um, Native American peoples, you know, definitely fetishized them. Even you know some of the early you know, Druid movement were, or thinkers were influenced by uh, Native American tribes and sort of wanted to you know, sort of emulate that with British uh, with sort of British tradition. No, and obviously, I think you find that even today, uh, to quite honest, to be quite honest. But yeah, I think so. In, in regards to the yeah, in regards to the nurture versus nature argument, you know, this idea that we're innately good and it's only society that has made us bad. I mean, it has a, a great appeal, but I think the question that isn't really entertained there is, well, how did innately good system, wouldn't innately good people create a good system? And so, you know, it's, seems after a bit of thought to not be true right there must be we must have some you know bad elements in us and of course we all know if we've looked at our dark sides that we all have a we all have a dark side and some people try and keep that under control and that's what society is trying to do and some people don't want to keep that under control because they like being uh you know um murderous or or hateful or whatever it may be, but, uh, yeah. Yeah. And I think, um, particularly one of the things I've been thinking about is, you know, Will Durant, the historian, uh, vaguely. he's great. He, yeah. he's great. He and his wife wrote a whole history of the world throughout the thirties to the fifties. Um, and amazing writer, but at the end of it, he wrote just a short book that was the lessons of history to sum up like thousands and thousands mm. of pages that, they, that he had wrote mm -hmm. that they had written, excuse me. And one of the core mm -hmm. lessons of history, he says, is, I forget how he puts it, it's, it's more eloquent than this, but he says that, you know, to become an adult, you have to at some point recognize finally that sexuality is a river of fire 
that must be hemmed in and dammed in in a thousand, 10,000 different ways, Mm -hmm. lest it destroy everything. And I think Mm -hmm. um, that's something that's just become more and more clear to me as I get older, uh, to to put it frankly. It's just, there's some some painful lessons there. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, absolutely. And and I think that's kind of what this movie is saying, but that runs so contrary Mm -hmm. to the general... Um, whatever you want to, the, the general, um, no pun intended, I just can't think of another word, uh, uh, thrust of modern discourse. Mm-hmm. Um, literally, I just can't think of any other way to put that. Uh, <laughs> it runs so contrary to the idea of just like, well, really what's important is self-actualization, uh, sexual liberation. Uh, and it's like liberation into what? You know, being right. being somebody else's subject, you know, subject of capital, mm-hmm. something to be moved around like a number. It's uh, um, yeah, I think that that that's a and the other thing is. It occurred to me also recently in terms of the Enlightenment and the trajectory of that, I think the real father, you could almost argue that the real father of modern liberalism is Desaad. Because you get mm-hmm, Desaad, right, yeah. which I think is quite resonant with this movie also, where you get Desaad in prison after mm-hmm, storming definitely. the steel to free uh, France yeah. from monarchy. They lock him up in prison and he spends 10 years autistically um, uh, documenting every single possible um, sexual perversion he could imagine. Like he's basically an architect or he's graphing out every possible mathematical configuration. And... Mm-hmm. Uh, you can see so much, you know, it's like, look at the internet now. It's like that, that's the internet right, right there. Yeah. And, and also, yeah. uh, have you seen the movie solo that was made of that? No, I it, it's no. possibly the most disturbing movie ever made, but it's also the best political <laughs> satire ever made. So it's, it's a filming of 120 days <laughs> of Sodom and you have four figures oh, okay. who are meant to represent the, the structure of society which are, I believe, mm-hmm. a king, a banker, a priest, and somebody else, I can't remember. And they just, you know, they lock themselves in this castle with um, all of these street prostitutes and kidnapped children and all of these people that no one's going to miss from the lower classes and spend, in the book, right. you know, over a thousand pages just torturing them sexually. And it's awful. It's 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 horrible. The book is, is almost... Is, is, unreadable even by today's standards it's so shocking uh but mm-hmm. the movie also makes the point it's like this is what because pasolini the director was an anarchist and some believe was was he was killed shortly mm-hmm. after the movie came out some suspect oh, wow. like they do with kubrick in this movie that that may have been right, intentional. Yeah. I, don't, I don't think that's the case with kubrick um but he's basically making the point it's like well this is what happens when you give people absolute power the point that he's making is like people wanting power in society is a sexual is a sexual fetish they want to do it to have sexual you know sadistic sexual power over mm-hmm. other people but the point that Desaad was making to yeah. some extent is like okay can we liberate humanity through the lens of sex by completely overcoming every possible filth and degradation there's got to be some light on the other end of that tunnel and uh mm-hmm. But in Desaad's case, it's like the liberation is for the upper class, uh, quite oddly. Yeah. Um, yeah. But that's a question that, you know, you can see that behind so many things now. And it, I don't think there is a light on the other end of that tunnel. No, that's right. I don't think so. No, no. This movie, I get we have to before we end, I feel like we should, particularly after mentioning Desaad, talk about all the conspiratorial stuff around this 
around this movie because of sure. course people have said yeah. um that uh this is this was kubrick trying to say something or reveal the illuminati and the yeah. fact that he died six days after it was completed shows that right. he was killed for it which is pretty silly because if that was the case why did they even let him make it in the first place um right or release it but there's this me right exactly but there's this kind of miasma of conspiratorial thinking around this movie and i wonder if you've ever come across that or, or had thoughts on that uh yeah i look i mean i have definitely come across it, this idea that well you know uh, obviously uh, some people say it's you know about freemasonry those people don't, don't really know what freemasonry is yeah, yeah, yeah. probably ignore that uh, because it's certainly not about freemasonry and then you know other people are saying well it's this weird uh you know in the very upper echelons of power which i said you know and i don't think there are sex i mean i don't know because i don't have any contact with these people but you know i, I mean i would i would be surprised if there were sort of organized sex cults i mean i wouldn't be well we had jeffrey epstein you know some that, of actually, them are, that actually happened yeah no exactly and yeah that's that's yeah clearly yeah and, and i mean clearly these there are people in power who have who are sexually perverse or will you know have sex with underage girls or whatever and jeffrey epstein was clearly keen to uh entrap those people and probably get whatever could out of them for whichever government agency or whatever so i mean you know these things go on and i'm sure that you know there's a certain number of people in power who are perverts or who who can be you know enticed into doing things that are pretty abnormal which is unfortunate but i don't, I don't know about you know organized well, I guess even Jeffrey Epstein, there's some indication there might be some sort of ritual thing that went on, but I don't, who knows exactly what that was. But yeah, I think he had the, there was that temple I mean, on knows? an island that was I, oddly also, I think, Mesopotamia. That's right, right. Yeah. yeah. I guess, you know, the thing we should uh, say is that, you know, while there are undoubtedly these weirdos and perverts in, in power, some of them, not all of them, of course, um, you know, and, and maybe I don't know. Maybe they are having strange rituals before they have weird sex. But um, you know, um, I think maybe it gets a little bit bizarre when people try and link it to sort of age-old societies and say this is some direct lineage from the Illuminati of three hundred years ago. You know, people in power. I think in any society, take advantage of that to to get the, the best includes, um, and that includes as much and as, as different sex as they can get. You know, certainly, you know, the elite in North Korea always will have expensive whiskey, even though you know the the people they preside over are all starving. And same in the USSR, they could have whatever they wanted, uh, even though they were all no more equal than everybody else who were sent to the gulags or starving allegedly. But they all managed to enrich themselves somehow. So I think it's you know it's human nature that if you have power and you have more power than everybody else, you're going to use it to exploit other people. Uh, I think this is one of the um, well-meaning people don't realize today. They think if we can just get if we can just get nice people in power, <laughs> then they will be able to 
sort of parentally guide us and we'll be fine. It's like, well, those people who want to be in power are all psychopaths. So they're going to just exploit you as much as, if not more than everybody else. So, you know, and, you know, it, uh, I, even with the Jeffrey Epstein, it wasn't as if it was just, uh, I don't think it was just li- limited to one party. No, definitely And, not. Um, no. you know, there was certainly plenty of people yeah, and there were certainly plenty of people involved in it who, in in public eye, are applauded for being, you know, champion equality and women's rights and this kind of thing. But, but are at least associated with a figure who exploits, you know, underage girls for sex. So I, they haven't apologized for being associated with him. So, yeah, you know, it, I'm sure they knew what was going on. Well, like Bill Gates became became friends with him after all the allegations had come out and said, yes, his, his lifestyle is very fascinating. That's right. Yeah, I saw a brief interview of him talking about it where he seemed to be very nervous, saying he didn't really have anything to do with him or had dinner with him once while looking very twitchy. and uh, Yeah. <laughs> It was pretty funny. Recently, I saw Bill Gates did an AMA on Reddit and it clearly expected everyone to receive him as the great technological savior of, of the third world. Right. And people just ripped yeah. him over the coals. Like every single comment Rated. was like, wow. yeah, like, you know, like how many underage girls were there at uh, on the plane to Jeffrey Epstein's <laughs> island? You know, it's like every single comment was that. And so, you know, and he, just, yeah. he had to see all of them. I thought that was pretty hilarious, actually. Um, yeah, there's also mm. the, the aspect of this where it, it's not necessarily literal at all, but it's true in the sense of emotional resonance or people's internal states, because um, sexual cruelty is obviously part of the training of, uh, mm-hmm. you know, ruling elites in society. And, and, you know, the obvious example is the British upper class right in in the in the um public school system and and you know being yeah. abused by older boys and uh you probably remember the the story about david cameron and the pig right yeah. yes i do yeah and it's just like <laughs> it seems to be something about um there there there's is a ritualistic training aspect of that where they're just trying to um break the humanity out of out of young men who are expected mm-hmm. to maintain an inherently inhuman system. Mm, yeah, and, yeah, yeah. And uh, that also occurs, I think, in in a lot of structures in society. I had, I was thinking recently just how much that happens in society as well. And uh, again, forgive me, but assessing my own white privilege, um, mm-hmm. going back and thinking about all like the really nasty things that have happened to me in my career and uh, really mm. harsh things and thinking like, well, you know, given who I am, it's like, was that really trying to hurt me or was that people trying to toughen me up so that I could do the same to other people right. later? And that was a really yeah. disturbing thought. It's like, was this actually, mm-hmm. um, ma- malicious or was it, you know, trying to callous me to, mm-hmm. to, to lead in the future? Uh, and that, that was a pretty disturbing yeah, thought. I'm sure. But I think you're probably onto something there. Yeah. So, and there just is, it is part of the nature of, you know, society is this vast machine that is constantly in the business of replicating it and preserving its its function. Mm. And I think that's just the, just the, all conspiracies aside, that's the, the true important message of this movie. I can think of a, I can't think of many other artworks that have the same message. Ironically, I assume you're not into video games, but um, 
No. Yeah, I I am. Uh, I'm not against them, but I'm not. Yeah, yeah. The the first Last of Us game for anyone who's listening to this who played that very much has the same message. Um, and it's just this sobering message of being an adult does not mean getting your way. It does not mean being happy. It does not mean being mm. the good guy. It does not mean um, mm -hmm. pursuing the truth. It just means maintaining a comfort. It, it maintains, it consists of maintaining a safe and nourishing life for other people that is for their mm. best and, and bearing the knowledge. Sure. Uh, that it's not actually yeah. real, bearing the knowledge of the dark side, your own dark side, but just protecting people from that. Because how could you, if you, mm -hmm. if you hadn't experienced it yourself? Mm. Um, right, right, exactly. Yeah. And that's, I think, a true, true initiation in, in adulthood. One final conspiracy theory I wanted to point mm -hmm. out is I actually couldn't find anything about this on the internet. I didn't look too hard, but I remember hearing at one point, part of the context of this movie is that I think is really important is that this was filmed during the very brief period that Tom Cruise was out of Scientology because he oh, had married really? Nicole yeah. Kidman, whose father uh, is a therapist yeah. in London. And they had, and this movie was filmed in England and they had um, successfully managed to extricate him from Scientology and begin rehabilitating oh, him. Wow. And someone speculated that the Eyes Wide Shut has the longest filming of any movie in the Guinness Book of World Records. They spent like 400 days filming this movie. And some have speculated that may have wow. been related, perhaps, of trying to keep him over there. Um, and, and other people have speculated yeah. that part of this movie is Tom Cruise, in a certain way, trying to tell people about what's going on in Scientology. Um, but very sadly, Scientology, shortly after this, the Scientologist purposefully broke up that marriage, got Tom Cruise yeah. back to the U.S., um, got him married to Katie Holmes. And this was the beginning of the right. downfall of Tom Cruise. This was when he was jump, jumping on the couch on Oprah and losing his mind publicly and was then rejected right. as a crazy cult member by the public until rehabilitating himself with mm -hmm. Top Gun 2, which perhaps we should return and end mm -hmm. on because, you know, everything relates to Top Gun. <laughs> so I don't know if you have any thoughts on that or if you've come across that uh, theory yeah, I haven't really, and I don't really know that much about Scientology, though it's not something I would ever want to explore. <laughs> That's probably for the best. <laughs> yeah. The, the real dark side. All right, well, um, what do you think? What what should we end this on? Or do you have any more, any any final thoughts on the movie? Um, no, only that, it, it, you know, I think the real, well, one of the main subtexts is that it really is this sort of paganism returning through this sort of monotheism and immorality returning through this veneer of uh, morality and of thinking that we are good people where to us underneath that's always trying to come through absolutely all right well that was a good conversation thank you um oh thank you where can people find out more about you your books and what is your latest book what should people be looking for Oh, yeah, it's The Path of the Warrior Mystic, Being a Man in an Age of Chaos. And people can, of and, course, go um, back and listen to the podcast we did about that one for, for more on that, too. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, definitely. And, and my book can be found on Barnes & Noble and Amazon and all those places. And, and my website is angelmillar.com, A-N-G-E-L-M-I-L-L-A-R.com. Awesome. Any new projects coming up in the works? Uh, I'm working on a book on uh, self-hypnosis, 
and a little bit more than that, but self-development and self-hypnosis. So yeah, that'll probably be the next one. Excellent. I will keep an eye out for that. All right. Thank you very much. All right. Hope you really, really enjoyed that. That was a great conversation with Angel. Mastering Meditation is waiting for you at magic.me, M-A-G-I-C-K dot M-E, along with tons of other courses. But that's the newest one. Go check it out. It is the greatest course on the planet for learning and mastering the core fundamentals of true meditation, mindfulness, and yoga. Magic.me, M-A-G-I-C-K dot M-E, Mastering Meditation. Lots of love. I will see you in class and see you very soon.